Good evening and welcome into Tunnel Vision, a show presented to you by uscfootball.com. I'm your host, Jack Smith, joined in studio by Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette. And we're going to break down USC's dominant 66-14 win over Nevada last night in the Coliseum. So thank you guys for coming back into Tunnel Vision, the second Tunnel Vision in this studio on the day. Yeah, we did uh, one earlier. Wasn't live. <laughs> My voice is gone from talking about it. No, uh, we had a great interview with uh, USC linebacker Rajon Davis, who got his first start. And play the most snaps of anybody on the Trojan team. So we set this up through House of Victory. So the shout out to them. Uh, USC's NIL efforts there for House of Victory set up the interview. And it's on our YouTube feed right now. And it's up on uscfootball.com if you want to check it out. It wasn't live. Maybe we'll do some of those live in the future. But for now, you know, we're just doing uh, – that was great. But it was great. It was a, we had a fun conversation, uh, Connor and I, with Rajon. It was great to catch up with Rajon, a guy I covered in high school at Modern Day. Used to – lay some vicious hits back in his high school <laughs> days. And it was good to see him lay a couple vicious hits on Saturday, making his first start, like you said, Ryan. So that was awesome. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that or watch that, it is on YouTube too. Uh, definitely check it out because it just came out like a half hour ago. So I'm sure a lot of people who are here now haven't watched it yet. Definitely worth your time. Rajon was awesome. So excited to start that first game. And he's excited to build some, some momentum. So we'll see what happens going forward. Well, if you're watching right now, go watch that one later. Stick with us right now. Yes. And while you're watching, make sure you're leaving your comments wherever you're watching. We can get them on the screen. If you leave a question, if you say question, if you put a question mark at the end, we can bookmark those and get to those at the end of the show. And as always, if you want to call into Tunnel Vision, 512-4-TUNNEL. We'll get to those at the end of the show. But first, guys, we've got to break down what was a much better performance for USC in Week 1, really the Trojans Week 2, with a big 52-point win over Nevada. It was good. I think... Uh we were, you know, Connor and I were watching uh, Oregon State play San Jose State earlier. Uh, what, Oregon State won by like 25, USC won by 28. You know, it was like, it was close. Uh, but one of the things that we talked about is it felt like Oregon State was the beneficiary of San Jose State had already playing. And it looked like they had some film on them where San Jose State didn't really know much about them. Sometimes it's an advantage to play. And sometimes it isn't. I think for a team like USC, it's an advantage to play early because you're really not worried about Nevada, you're worried about just what you do. And it looked like USC took sort of some of the mistakes they had from week one and applied them to fix them in week two. Uh, and outside, I think it was like three big Nevada offensive plays they, that really didn't do much. Uh, there was a garbage time touchdown late. Uh, that first, it was a really pretty pass, to be honest, like when uh, Nevada tied it up at seven. And Demonte Jackson was, you know, somewhat close, but he got burned on that one. And uh, that was a huge play. But, you know, outside of those couple plays, there just wasn't that much that uh, was Nevada was doing. I think five three-and-outs total, uh, got the sack, forced fumble, five total sacks, ten tackles for loss. That's sort of what you want to see on the defensive side of the ball. And, you know, second week in a row, USC ends up having two punts. I guess if you want to have a concern, is like twice, back, you know, both weeks, they didn't really do well with their drive heading into halftime. This one, they had a fumbled snap. Uh, but for the most part, Caleb was doing... Caleb things, doing what he wanted to do. The run game was good. I mean, when you have 54 plays and get 668 yards, averaging 12, 12.4 yards a play, like you're doing something right. When your backup quarterback throws for over 100 yards, gets 10 passes, like they, I, they, I think they did what you wanted to do with an opponent like Nevada. That You know, they added a bunch of Power 5 transfers. They could have been feisty. They had a couple guys that did some things. Um, but for the most part, I think this is the sort of like recipe of 
you know, it could have been like 80 to nothing, I guess. But it's, this is kind of what you want. You score 66 points. Your backup scored points. Um, you move the ball effectively. It's great that Miller Moss can actually run the offense when he comes in. And he came into the third quarter, which you, you want to see. And then defensively, I think, you know, a couple miscues. But for the most part, I mean, they were getting after it. I thought they were very active. And uh, they gave uh, Brendan Lewis a lot of problems. So I think taken away from the first, you know, second game, that's kind of where you want to be heading into conference play against Stanford. A day removed from it, Jack, we did instant analysis, so we got to give our thoughts right off the game. I wrote a big story with all my thoughts after the game. Now having a day to digest, the offense is what blows me away, and we'll get into the defense as well, but that's a defensive-minded staff at Nevada. Ken Wilson has a defensive background, and I know the talent level for USC and Nevada, it's just not close. But the fact that USC was able to score at the speed they were able to score at in those in that game, four play drives ending in touchdowns happened three times. One was a three play touchdown drive. That really opened my eyes. And I know lesser opponent, but I was really impressed by that. Caleb Williams too, seeing some of the other angles on that throw to Dorian Singer early <laughs> in the game. Oh man, I was really happy to see that end zone view. I don't know how he put that in such a perfect spot for Dorian. And what a catch with, with, with one hand. So yeah. I, I thought that the offense was much more cohesive than it was against San Jose State. I thought the offensive line, even though there was a lot of rotation, looked much better against Nevada than it did against San Jose State. That was the offense that I was expecting early in the year. I know they rotated a lot, and we're getting it now. It looks like they're really starting to click, and very, very encouraging sign how, how talented the offense was in that game. And I felt like the drives where they didn't, score touchdowns in the first half, it was more self-inflicted than anything Nevada was doing. Yeah. It was just a bunch of big plays. All five of, the, of Caleb Williams' touchdown drives were fo were four plays long, and they yeah. had five <laughs> touchdowns in the first six. I think the, the, the only drive they didn't score a touchdown was only five plays. So they just had the ball, and they scored pretty much instantly. They averaged like a point for every two minutes holding the ball, which is just it's pretty crazy. Uh, and, and just seeing how quickly the team could score. I mean, Lincoln Riley was asked about it too, saying like, do you want to slow down at all? But this is an offense. If it's not, if it ain't broke, to, to just don't fix it. You, you don't have to try and score slower because you're scoring a lot of points. And, you know, they put up 24 points in the fourth quarter. They score 66 on the day with one field goal and one defensive touchdown. But this is just, it, it's over 100 offensive points within two weeks. And it's just not something you want to change if it's working as well as it is. Yeah, it, it's working. Um, and, you know, Lincoln Riley had, you know, saying that Caleb Williams needs to get better and all of that. And you know, he could be, I guess, a little bit more efficient. But when you're talking nine touchdowns, no interceptions, um, it's just, it, you know, he's on the pace that you want to see him on. And you want him to be able to have games like this when the competition gets better. Obviously, the second half of the season, I mean, Pac-12 looks great right now. Uh, the only conference that's been undefeated. Um, I think it's like the 30s or something. It's, it's insane how good... The Pac-12 looks, um, you know, Washington put up a lot of points. You know, uh, Oregon, I think they scored 80, right? Like they were something like that. Uh, there's good teams in the Pac-12. Colorado is going to be better than what you thought. They were an absolute doormat last year, and they're, they're going to be feistier. They're going to be a better team, a well-coached team. So USC still has more talent and all that, and it's on the road. But, um, you know, it, that's going to be a tougher game than what you thought. You know, Stanford gets a road, a, a road win in Hawaii. I, just, I don't think they're going to be that good. Uh, Cal put up fifty something points. Like I thought they'd be you know, on the road. Thought they'd be fairly terrible this year, but they, you know, they had I think the number twenty ranked transfer class. So the teams on USC schedule 
uh, look like they're competent. You know, there's Heisman candidates in there. There's a, there's really good players and good teams and good coaches, and it's sort of all coming together at once. So your run to win the Pac-12 isn't going to be as easy. But these are the kind of games you want to see, and you want to see Caleb Williams be able to do this when it does step up. Like, can he do that against Colorado on the road that looks like a, a better team? Travis Hunter out there trying to pick off passes all over the place. Like, if you do that, that's like that's great. But I think both sides. I think we've seen what you you need to see. Um, and it's, it's, you're in a good place going to Stanford, which, you know, the for USC's first three games out of conference, I mean, in conference are against new coaches, uh, you know, Arizona state and Kelly Dillingham, um, you know, Stanford and, and Troy Taylor. And then of course, primetime, uh, Deion Sanders in Colorado, uh, you know, they, all those teams won, uh, now Arizona state probably looked the worst out of all of them, but they had a haboob or whatever going on. Like <laughs> I love they had like a three hour delay in that game. It was like lightning and wind all, you know, some crazy desert storm. Um, but you know, it's, uh, it's going to be tougher. So you want to see Caleb Williams be able to do this. He's done it against great competition. Keep that going. You know, nine, nine touchdowns, no picks. You want to make a playoff run. You want to try to win the Heisman again. Like he's a, you're doing the things you need to do to be able to do that. If he had some weird, like, you know, three touchdowns and, uh, you know, 50% passing and two picks. Like, you're not really on pace. Like, I think he's on pace now, and the team is on pace now, but you got to keep that up. Watching this LSU-Florida State game, we have it on in the studio, it's just so apparent that if one of these teams had Caleb Williams, I think they'd be up at least 14 points. It's that kind of he, – he's just a different level. And, again, I know it was Nevada, but – these guys, they're good quarterbacks. Both both uh, Jaden Daniels and Jordan Travis, they're Heisman candidates. But the level that Caleb Williams is at is, is just different. And when the competition gets tougher for USC, the fact that you know you have a quarterback like Williams who, who's been in those big games and performed really well, done a good job, you got to be happy if you're a USC yeah. fan. Yeah, it's almost like he's his, he's conditioned us to expect perfection for the most part. I mean, he, he's thrown nine touchdown passes in basically six and three quarters of a quarter this season. Um, he's got the now tied for the most four touchdown games in USC football history with Matt Barkley, and it took him 31 less games to do it. So it's, it's really interesting. And Lincoln Riley, as you mentioned, Connor, I know you wrote about it yesterday. He's always expecting more from, from Caleb Williams, but I think it's just because he realizes the floor is so high that he wants to raise the ceiling and, and continue to raise the floor as well because even when you're the best player in the country, there's always stuff to work on. But every time that we go out there and we see Caleb Williams do the crazy things that he does every week, it's, it's almost hard to envision him getting much better. And he, clearly he's still working on it and we're seeing different things every week. So it's clear he is as well. Two things with that, Jack. I think the fact that Riley is so critical of his quarterback after these great games has a lot to do with the fact that USC has these lofty goals, and once those goals are met, if they are, then Williams will get a lot of praise from Riley. That's when it's going to come, once USC reaches the ceiling that, that Coach Riley thinks they can get to. He, he doesn't want to build him up right now. He, he, he already knows how good he is. He wants to build him up after these goals are met. And then the other thing, if you can tell Caleb Williams he has to get better, then that means you can tell anyone else on the team yeah. that they can get better too. So. No special treatment. Everyone can improve, and Riley is setting that standard for his team. There isn't anyone who 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 is is not going to come out at practice and work really hard. I don't care if you want a Heisman. I don't care if you're a five star recruit. You got to come out and earn it. And Williams, he certainly earned it in our eyes. But Riley continues to say he can get a lot better. He has to keep improving. He's not where he want him to be right now. Which 
I don't think any other coach, or maybe that's just too strong, but I don't think many other coaches in America are saying that after a quarterback uh, plays like that on their team. Yeah, I think it's just part of the culture that they've built. And, uh, you know, that's yeah, everyone's accountable. And even Caleb Williams, who won the Heisman Trophy and is doing great things. So I think that's, I think it's important. And you're going to, it's going to be a, I mean, I think USC is a very good team and uh, to be an excellent, potential excellent team. And I think it's a team that's capable of making the college football playoff, but it is not going to be an easy road. And you can't have lapses, especially the second half of the schedule. So uh, you got to keep Caleb sharp. You got to keep everybody sharp. And uh, if you can be critical of him, then uh, like you said, you can be critical of anybody. Yeah, Yeah, and and we have to obviously note it was against Nevada. We came in here on Thursday. We weren't expecting much, but this is kind of the difference between this season and last season, I would say, at least so far, is we would expect USC to go out there and dominate. They'd look like they clearly could. And then in the end, it would end up being a a 10-point game or maybe a six-point game where the other team's hanging around for a while because the defense isn't getting stops. Maybe USC does have a mental lapse on offense, but this time they they really just buried Nevada after the first uh, defensive drive for USC where they did give up a touchdown. They basically went the rest of the game first team defense without giving up another point it took nearly like 20 more minutes of football for them to get even one or two more first downs for the rest of the game and at the end it was a 52 point win so we saw them bury the competition which we kind of only saw in one game last year in the rice game where they were kind of gifted the three pick sixes but other than that there weren't many games where usd just went out there they dominated from start to finish against a team they should dominate against and you know the defense was a big part in that yesterday but i think it was good to see usc you know not play down to the competition but really just show that that the team they were playing yes they're a bad team but they made them look bad as well and i think you know, I talked about this after the San Jose State game. It just looked like a better defense. And some people were critical of, he gave up this, he gave up that. But, like, hey, I thought they tackled better overall. That's an important part of things. I think they tackled pretty well uh, on Saturday. So that's a good sign. that They're very active in the, the front seven. I mean, Bear Alexander is blowing up plays just by himself. You know, there was there's guys doing that. Jamil Muhammad, just like the pursuit stuff. We, You know, there's a lot of people in the chat talking about Rajon Davis and his speed. And, you know, you didn't even mention – you know, who are the two most prolific linebackers, Eric Gentry and, uh, you know, bringing in Mason Cobb. And both of them are out. And we didn't expect that. Um, but they're both out for the game. And then Taka Curtis in the first half gets a targeting call. It was clearly targeting. And what, what the mentioned some what Rajon Davis said about that. But um, And now you're down to just a couple of linebackers. So Shane Lee, who's a captain, but didn't play linebacker in the first game because they didn't really need him. He's had played a big part. He got a sack. I mean, I thought he did a really nice job. And, of course, Rajon Davis, I think four total tackles, but was really doing a nice job. I think was very disciplined when he played. It looked like he was doing good things. And I guess Chris, Tom- Chris uh, Thompson did some – he was in there for some linebacker stuff as well. But Davis had to play all the snaps because there was nobody else there. And, uh, you know, what's funny is, like, we talk about this a lot. Like, when we're talking about players um, – you know, they do their thing. And sometimes they don't know. Connor was telling me like a recruiting story about a player not knowing like he was going on a visit, didn't know what the stadium of the, where he was going was called. You know, like, so a lot of times the players don't know as much as the fans do. The fans are like super into it. The player's like, what? I mean, we were talking to Rajon and he wasn't sure if Tackle was going to miss the next. And I'm like, no, that happened in the first half. He's like, oh, that's good. Like, 
you would think that's come up or something, but just sometimes players are just like in their own world. I just I thought that was like a funny little thing from. Uh, he didn't seem to think it was targeting either, but that was clearly targeting. Yeah, <laughs> and, and to, to your point about the injuries, we've talked so much about the schedule allowing USC to slowly build and slowly ramp up what they want to do before they get into the bigger games, and that plays into injuries too because now you got Stanford, Arizona State, you got a bye b- between those games. The fact that everything can go a little slower. You can allow Mason Cobb to get healthier. You can allow Eric Gentry to get healthier. Gino Quinones, it looks serious. I hope it's not serious, but it looked like it might be a longer-term thing, so I don't know if that applies to him. But the fact that they have this slow build, it's never good when someone gets hurt, but you don't really need Mason Cobb and Eric Gentry in these next few games. You need them at the end of the season, and I think the best-case scenario is those guys come back healthy, they finish the season strong, and then you build up some of that depth. If Rajon Davis and Shane Lee continue to look really good, you can maybe work them into some of those bigger games. If Eric Gentry, you don't want to give him a full uh, workload because he's missed time in the past. Same with Mason Cobb if he, if he needs to be limited coming back from his injury. So I, I think the slow buildup right now is helpful to get some of these guys healthy. Of course, though, that's an unknown, and these guys might be out for a long time. We don't know. Hopefully, they're back soon. And everyone's ready to go heading into the final stretch because, as we all know, that's when uh, it really begins. Yeah. It would be a good problem to have, too, to have four or five linebackers you want to play. That's a problem USC certainly didn't have last year. It was kind of the other way around where they needed to play a couple linebackers and they weren't sure who to go to with some guys being injured. So, as you mentioned, building up that depth, it can really only be a positive down the stretch of the season if the guys come back healthy. But we kind of talked about the offense led by Caleb Williams, how well that they played. But the defense is one of the bigger stories as well from yesterday. I don't know about you guys, but watching that first drive, the big play, you kind of wonder, is USC you know, going to have another one of those days on defense? Like we saw them give up 28 points to San Jose State. Obviously, the tough stretch down the end of the season last year, but they kind of hold strong. The first team defense doesn't allow another point. They went 10 drives and only seven points allowed. They kind of really slowed down everything after that, had three straight three and outs after the first touchdown drive. And you kind of knew from that point, like this is a different kind of day for the USC defense. And they pretty much continued it the rest of the way. There was one more big play for a touchdown by the second team defense. What stood out to you guys most from the USCD? I think just being disruptive, uh, they did a really good job of that. And, you know, I think when you saw against San Jose State, the pursuit was there. The effort was there. And, you know, Connor and I were watching uh, differently, you know, Oregon State playing San Jose State. And they, the commenter, you know, the, the announcers even mentioned that it looked like Oregon State's pass rush wasn't trying to get there. They were just staying in their lanes. And it it looked like they watched what USC did and they didn't want Chevin Cordero just to take off and run. So they sort of rushed and just sort of kept him in check instead of like coming after him like a, you know, bat out of hell or whatever. And then like he runs by you. And I feel like they didn't allow that to happen. I think they stayed in their lanes better. They, they held the edge better and just did a good job of disrupting things and staying after it. And I think, you know, Brendan Lewis, you saw him run around and try to find someone downfield and maybe Jamil Muhammad catches him from behind or whatever he gets. They get stopped, and I feel like, you know, it's great that USC had so many turnovers last year, and I think they led the nation in turnover margin. Uh, This year, it's one-to-one, right? There was just one turnover on each side. I'd much rather see this defense get stops, because that's something that I feel like is translatable, where turnovers, there is a lot of luck involved. We were talking to Rajon Davis about the fumble that uh, Nevada had, and it literally just bounced back up into like the running backs or receivers' hands or whatever, and that just happens sometimes. The you know the one with Stanley T, he gets it and runs all the way in for the touchdown, which was great. You know, foot, you know, like Lincoln Riley said, football's more fun when big guys score. But it was 
that's the kind of stuff that, you know, there is some luck involved in that. Like you you can do a lot of things to force turnovers, but it doesn't always it doesn't always work that way. You know, there's coin flips involved. When you're getting stops, it's like you're disrupting plays, and that's something that you can uh, like pack up in your suitcase and take with you from week to week. So I feel like I'd much rather see that, getting a whole bunch of three and outs, getting stops. Uh, that's what you want to see. Does that mean you can do it against like Oregon or Washington? Like not necessarily, but I think that's what you, you know, you're getting those, having the confidence to be able to step up and say, all right, we're going to get the ball back for Caleb Williams. We know he's going to score. Boom. We're going to go out there and get a stop. So I, that's what I was most impressed with. They were disruptive and they got a bunch of stops. Defense definitely looked better, but I think I'm not alone when I say for them to really impress me, you got to see it against a better team. Yes. So we'll see down the line when. USC plays those better teams, what it, lo- what it looks like, and you have to be happy with yesterday outside of that first drive where Nevada scored after the big completion that uh, Damani Jackson wasn't covered, John, that they were great, ec- uh, excellent, awesome, you know, not enough good words you can say that they, they settled down. And what did we say last week on the pregame show? We want to see a dominating performance from the defensive front because that Nevada, or Nevada, excuse me, <laughs> offensive line isn't really that talented. And then you mentioned it, the 10. Uh, tackles for loss, the five sacks, they, they showed up, and you, you have to be really happy with that. I'm excited to see what this build looks like and when USC plays better teams, if going up against these lesser opponents helps them in the long run, what that all looks like. I think we're all excited to see that, but after what they did on Saturday, you really can't have anything bad to say. And, and real quick, Jack, I, I thought special teams was better. Now, was there Zachariah Branch, like, touchdowns and fun? No, there wasn't. But it was just more solid. Like, you didn't give up big returns. That's all I want to see. When you have a more talented team, you just want it to be sort of even. You don't want to give up a bunch of weird yards and stuff. So I thought special teams was more solid. The punting, I still would like to see do a better job. There was a good one. You know, there was you're punting for midfield, so you can't get a lot of yards out of it. I think it was like a 38-yarder down at the 10. Uh, his second one was 47 yards, but it was like mostly roll. I, w- I just want to see something come off his foot and just go flying through the air. Like you, I, we watched Utah, six punts over all, you know, they averaged over 51 yards. That's, I want to see stuff like that because, I mean, this is all Pac-12 punter, uh, Eddie Saplicki. So I want to see a uh, little improvement there. So, But overall, I think special teams was better too. Yeah, I think it was definitely better in the game. And I was watching warm-ups, both punters kind of going and, and wondering, are they just going to lay into one, see how far they can get it in practice? And and they weren't getting it much past like 45 to 50 yards. So it's interesting. Maybe they're not going all out in warm-ups, so that's something I'm going to have my eye on as well. But uh, judging by the defense, I think one of the big keys was playing well on third down. They held Nevada to just 5 of 19 on third down conversions. And the defense just did such a good job getting off the field, especially early in drives, which is kind of one of the keys that we said and we talked about before the show is like last year, even when USC would get stops, it would be still a 10-play drive for the offense. Like they'd either get a turnover or USC would just get off the field late in a drive, one that burned a lot of time for the opposing offense and kept Caleb Williams off the field. Like that was not the case. It, it basically, you had that one first down on the deep pass to Damani Jackson. The second first down for Nevada didn't come until 11 minutes and 20 seconds left to go in the second quarter. And the third first down didn't come until two minutes left in the second quarter. So they were just really smothering, had three straight three and outs. They had another one after... Uh, a drive that I think got just one first down. So they were getting off the field early in drives, which that's a big thing when you've got pass rush. You've got Bear Alexander, you know, pushing through on a third and one. Like these are the plays we didn't see USC make last year. And as we've mentioned, it is Nevada, but it's something that it's an encouraging sign to see. And if they can keep it up against a real opponent or a Pac-12 opponent, one of these harder ones on the schedule, like that is what you're looking for basically to a T from this USC 
defense. It's definitely what you wanted to see, and the fact that you saw it with a lot of inexperienced linebackers in the game, I think that adds to the encouragement a little bit, too. you got to be happy about that. But, uh, yeah, that was the big question going in. San Jose State, first quarter, they picked up some first downs. They scored a touchdown early in the game. I think they came right at the start of the second quarter, their first touchdown. But they moved the ball, and Nevada did on their first drive, and then that was really it. So kudos to the USC defense. I think and Lincoln Riley kind of said it too in the post game is he thought they gave up just two big plays and that they definitely did I mean Monty Jackson seemed to be in pretty good coverage on the first one the ball just kind of went through his hands and I'm sure he'd want that one back and it, he, I feel like he was in a position that more often than not turns out as an interception but it's one you work on in practice then you have the late one on the second team defense where Anthony Beavers kind of gets burnt for another big play but USC I think allowed just over 300 yards of offense that was basically 150 yards of it on, on its own so you take away those two big plays if USC can work on it. And again, that's it's saying a lot because this is a defense that has struggled with that in the past. But outside of those two big plays, I'm not sure there is much to complain about for the USC defense. Yeah, I, I would say that's a yes, true statement. I mean, I, if you're you're complaining now, like you're just nitpicking. I, but some people are. I, yeah. I was I was surprised. I know USC fans. They're they're as diehard as you can come. But oh my God, I, I I was I was surprised that I saw still a lot of criticism for the defense after this game from fans, people giving the defense like a B or a B plus. I mean, at worst, it's an A minus, I think, right? Because yeah. they only allowed the, the two touchdowns. And one of them, I don't even count that because that's against guys who, when the real game is on the line, they're not going to be any close playing, to the yeah. field. Um, so I think that's important to talk about, too, just the fact that there are some fans out there who really weren't impressed with that defensive performance Saturday. I don't think that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, there's just a – a good chunk of the fan base that doesn't like the defense, <laughs> think the defense is terrible. And so So many new faces though, you gotta give them a chance. Yeah, I would say yeah, and then they but they judge the whole season on the San Jose State game. Uh I think, you know, I, I would say just kind of watch watch and see. We felt the defense was gonna be better, they have better players. Is it going to be a top 10 defense? It's not. I don't think it's going to be a top 10 defense. But you don't need that. You just need something decent. Last year, they were hot garbage at the end of the season. If you're better than hot garbage, you can go to the playoff. Like, I really believe that because the offense is that good. You just have to be significantly better. You know, not significantly better, just better. So Utah can't score every a touchdown every single time they touch the ball at the end of the game. You get one or two stops in there. They're a score on the other times, and that's fine. Cam Rising goes crazy, whatever it is. Dalton Kincaid or, you know, uh, Brent Keefe, you know, whoever is going off on you, like that happens. But you mix in a stop or two. Like USC beat UCLA because they got a stop and it wasn't a stop. It was an interception. It wasn't a three and out or anything. If you could just get one or two of those towards the end of the season, end of the game, Caleb Williams is going to score. And so you're fine. And that's all you need. You don't need to be significantly better. This defense could be significantly better. Like I'm not saying it's not. But you just need it to be like marginally better, and you should be in a much better spot. So, but there's people that are just going to hail the defense. It's terrible, blah blah blah. That's fine. I mean, wait and see. They were a lot better in this game. I think there's positives to take away from it. If Stanford torches them, go ahead. You know, bring out your pitchforks, whatever you want to do. But at this time, it's like, hey, what do you want to see? They gave up like seven points to the team. Like, come on, like it's fine. I think it's interesting too. Like we kind of called our shots on the specific players, and like those were the guys that were really driving the defense. And I think we're seeing like who the leaders are on the unit. You've got Bear Alexander, who I would argue has been the most impressive defensive player so far for USC. Maybe not showing up as much in the stat sheet as some other guys, but like he just looks different. And it's been a while since USC had just a purely dominant force up the middle outside of when they would use Tuli Tuli Pelotu kind of over the center or the guards. But he just gets so much push. He he helped on that third and one 
Should have been a tackle for a loss for him, but it, the guy just kind of bounced off of the, the 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 center that Bear Alexander pushed into him. And, <laughs> and Jalen Smith kind of cleaned it up for like a four-yard loss. You had Jamil Muhammad, who I think, Connor, did you say you thought Jamil Muhammad was going to be the team MVP of this week? Yeah, not quite, but he did have that big sack earlier in the game. Did have a sack. You, you've got, of course, you have Kalen Bullock, but you're kind of starting to see like these players on the defensive line that... When the, when the real part of the season comes around, like these guys aren't going to be leaving the field very often. You've got guys that are there on first and second down, some guys that come in on third down, like an Anthony Lucas, like Zion Branch, who we saw a lot this week. And, and you're starting to see the, the rotation start to form, guys that are winning those battles and, and winning the battles with the other team as well. And I think you kind of see who the, some of the leaders are in this defense and the players that you can expect to be out there a lot of the time and making some pretty big impacts. Yeah, I did see a comment on YouTube regarding the speed of the defense in the Florida State LSU game and how they were wondering if USC was that fast and they the, the commenter I, I could look it up the name I'm sorry I, I didn't catch the name but they, they said that the USC defense isn't as fast as these two defenses and I would agree with that this is just sort of a different level and I am looking forward to when USC plays some better teams if the buildup they can they probably won't get that close to either one of these defenses but can you get somewhat close to give yourself a chance yeah. against uh, if you do make the college football playoff against a really, really elite team, and I think that is probably the ceiling, getting yeah. getting kind of close to one of these teams who's more right. established. But you know what those teams don't have? Yeah, exactly. Caleb Williams. They don't have an <laughs> offense. Like, Riley. Yeah, Lincoln. they don't have an offense like USC's. You know, like they're USC would put up a lot of points on both of these defenses. They're much better than you. I would say both of them are playing better defense than what USC is doing. But USC's offense is significantly better too. So like you have to kind of pair yeah. what you have. It's like a you have your you know what the restaurant thing. You want a food analogy? You have like oh, here oh we go. here we go. I got my you know <laughs> I have a nice uh, you know bone in ribeye. I'm not drinking rosé with that. Like, it's not a good pairing. So, I, you know, it, would an Iowa defense work with the Lincoln-Riley offense? Like, I don't think they don't complement each other. Like, I want a nice cab or something or like a Pinot Noir to go with my red meat. You want it to pair well. Yes, USC's defense could be a lot better, but there's something to be said for what's going on on, you know, both sides of the ball. And, I, you know, I think the goal is they can kind of complement each other and, um, you know, getting all those turnovers last year sort of helped, but that, that wasn't consistent. I think getting the ball, getting these stops, you know, occasionally you give up some points, whatever, you get a stop and get the ball back right away and you give this offense not just the ball with some time, but, you know, and especially with the new clock rules, like Jack was mentioning, you can't give up like the 10-play drives and then they punt from the 38 or something and you get the ball your own three. Like, no, you took up way too much time. You're taking points away from your offense. You want to get the ball back and give him an opportunity so there's not the absolute pressure that you need to score right now. If it's like there's a little wiggle room, he'll probably go down and score, figure out a way to do it. And, you know, every once in a while, they'll have a three and out and, and won't score. They're going to punt like once or twice a game probably. But just get a few stops and you should be fine. Uh, you want that good pairing. Are you sure an Iowa defense would pair well with USC's I, I, offense? Yeah, I think that's that was a little bit of a miss on the analogy. I think it's more like <laughs> no, the, you, food, the food analogy was good, but, but Iowa but, but defense, Iowa's would, defense would look out. worse if you like yeah, if they had yeah. to like if Caleb Williams scores in four plays every time and like here go go stop him again. Yeah, like but, and now teams are like opening up. Like when you are playing, it's like you're playing in a phone booth, like both teams are playing in a phone booth. Like you're I don't want to I'm trying to for a punt yard. It's like you're not playing USC trying to get punt yardage. Like you're for better field position, you're trying to score, and I think that changes the game. You know, so you can't. I, I think it's more the mentality of 
we're not trying to like keep this game super close when we're playing like Iowa football. Like they don't want to score a lot because they don't want to put more pressure on their defense. Like USC doesn't give a crap. They're like, no, we're going to score every time. And then the defense, you can kind of figure it out. So I think the OC does want to score a lot, isn't it? In his contract, he, he has, has to get a certain. I think they scored. He's gone. They scored twenty four yeah. against some bad team yesterday. I think he has to score like twenty five. And it's Kirk Ferentz's son. It's Brian Ferentz. It's a total nepotistic yeah. thing. Oh, yeah, no. David Woods, my. Podcast for Champions partner he hates that stuff. He hates like the nepotistic yeah. stuff. But you're telling yeah, me. I think he has to score at least twenty five. And it, I guess it's not even like if the if the special team score, or defense scores. I guess it still counts. Oh, okay. Like it's not even like offensive points. It's just like total points. So I think he's below. I think he's a little below the Mendoza line right now. Like, <laughs> but we'll see. I, I haven't dialed it. That was a big offseason topic. Like how many points will Iowa score? I'm sure Iowa would love Lincoln Riley's oh, offense, yeah. though. I, I think they, I think they'd be fine with pairing their defense with Lincoln Riley's offense. Yeah, they put a whole bottle of rosé. They're just like chuck that down. <laughs> I mean, it, 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 you're right. It is hard to play defense for a team that scores so many points on offense. I mean, USC, I think, ran 14 less plays than Nevada did for the entire game and scored 52 more points. And like 300 more yards. Like, yeah. It was insane. SC was averaging, I think it was overall 12.4 yards a play. Each carry was over 10 yards. So they're averaging a first down when they run the ball. They, I think it was like 18.8 yards per pass completion. So every time Caleb Williams or Miller Moss completed a pass, like they were basically getting two first downs worth of yardage. <laughs> so like if you're a defense and your team scores in four plays and they only punt two times a game, really all USC needs is a defense that doesn't give up as many touchdowns. So if you can force four punts a game and maybe take one turnover, you're going to win more games than you're not going to win them. So I think you were right. There aren't many teams that have like the number one offense in college football and the number one defense in college football. So yeah. if you've got the number one offense, which you could very much, very well make the argument that USC does, if you have a top half defense in college football, you're going to be a really good team. You have upside to be better than that. If you get to that ceiling, you're right. You're a college football playoff team. But you can't, I don't think, expect USC to be like the top defense and the top offense at the same time. If you have a, a better than average defense, this team's going to go pretty Yeah, far. they need to be like a top. I mean, if they go top 50, I think that's good. You know, they were in like the hundreds, you know, but I mean, yeah. top 60, something like that. And I know a lot of USC fans don't want to hear that, but I think that's what you need. I don't know if they will get there. I mean, there's a talent to be there. And if they don't, then you could, if there's only one issue. I mean, it's like you're going to talk about the play calling, you're going to talk about the design, because I feel now. They have plenty of talent on this defensive side of the ball. If they still struggle and the better teams come in and you still can't get stops, I, I think Lincoln Riley has to look at like what a lot of the fans were at for, for him. I, I, you know, I like Alex Grinch. It's been I enjoy conversations and stuff having with him. Um, but you know, if they they have enough talent right now that if they don't do well, he's the guy running the defense. So then it's going to come. You know, that's what it's going to come down to. But I wouldn't, you know. The, the people want the pitchforks like right away and maybe you just want to be right. Like, see, I told you that the, would you rather as a USC fan just be like, you know what? I thought the defense would suck this year, but it was actually okay. And that's all we needed because then we scored all these points and made it to the playoff. Or would you rather just be right? Like, see, I told you Alex Grinch is the worst. You know, I think some fans even just want to just be proven right as opposed to like, oh, be pleasantly surprised that it's not terrible. Uh, it's actually pretty good. And it's enough to win the Pac-12 and go to the playoff, which I think that's the goal. That's what you want to see. I feel like they can do that, but you know it's a tougher it's a tough road, and they're going to have to perform you know week in and week out. So we'll we'll see if they can. One interesting stat that I'll be watching all year. So Lake and Riley, he's sixty-eight and thirteen as a head coach, and in those thirteen losses, the opponent has scored an average of forty-three point nine points. So when wow. they lose, they're giving up some points. So I expect a few shootouts this year, and you just have to hope that. The USC offense can 
outscore the other team. And with this unit, I, I, I think you're, you'd be right to feel like they can. Yeah, I think before we get fully to the offense, another thing that stuck out to me, which you guys were talking about a little bit with Oregon State, maybe what they learned from watching USC in week one. And we kind of talked with this uh, about Solomon Bird, talked to Solomon Bird about this after the game, like the rush lanes, which are something we were harping on last Sunday. That was one of the negatives that we came away with. We're like, they look like a more talented defense, but they're over pursuing. The rush lanes aren't great. I thought they were a lot better yesterday. And it was those little things that like if you're fixing those week to week, you're figuring out what your weaknesses are when you play the game on Saturday and a week later, you're fixing those weaknesses like that's how you improve as a defense and that was I think the biggest thing that that we saw on the game against San San Jose State and said this is an issue they need to fix that I thought they went out and fixed that pretty well uh, in week two again Brendan Lewis not as good a running back as Chevin Cordero and USC will certainly see better ones throughout the season but I thought that was a a pretty good example of them fixing something small from week to week and it showed up in a big way and that's what allowed them to actually pick up sacks this time the TFLs um, they didn't allow many rushing yards at all I think it was the lowest rushing total they allowed since 2019 versus Arizona State. Oh, wow, okay. 50 yards, 49 yards, I think, was the the, the, the exact number. So that, that was just one of the things that USC made a small improvement on from, from, from one week to another. And I, I think I'd echo you, Ryan. I don't think it would be a very enjoyable Saturday for me to you know watch my team win by 52 and have a complaint about the defense <laughs> giving up 14 points. On the Bear Alexander play against San Jose State when Chevin Cordero picked up the third and 22, Alexander just kind of looked out of place. He, he was standing up instead of in a three-point stance and I think he just got a little confused there was none of that against Nevada and Jack you talked about it improving week to week so big USC they looked like they were on the same page even the Damani Jackson uh, play where he let up the big reception the coverage wasn't great but it wasn't like a breakdown like it no was I mean it was, and that was a that was a money pass like Brendan Lewis I was like is this guy like way better than I remember seeing him in Colorado that was on the money it was just like sometimes you just make a really awesome foot that was an awesome football play like all right you know, you score crowd. That was crazy. I'd say like same thing with the the catch over Sierra right by San Jose State. Like that last touchdown on the right side. Like in, in pretty good position. Just sometimes good football players make good football plays, yeah. and I'm sure USC the teams that USC plays are going to feel like that against Caleb Williams. And, you know, maybe USC is not going to play a Caleb Williams level player this season, but there are good football players around the country. Like they're going to make plays. Yeah, I think the Caleb Williams touchdown to Brendan Rice. Like <laughs> someone, some national media members, like, could you imagine playing defense? and having to do that like he was in the pocket out of the pocket running around this guy I mean you've done everything you could to like stop him from doing it somehow he runs to his you know to his right side and then throws like where it looks like I'm running I'm running I'm running and then without any kind of wind up or anything just throws a bullet it was like okay like what are you going to do to that like you can't stop that and like you know, in the San Jose State game before halftime, that's a coverage breakdown. You don't want to see that. You don't want to see there's nobody covering the guy, and he's wide open. You throw him the ball. Like, you know, Devon Jackson was covering the player that made the great catch. You know, and uh, like you, you mentioned with Cordero and that one, and uh, you know, uh, that touchdown. I mean, one hand or whatever it was. I mean, that was just a great play. Sometimes that happens. Um, you know. There's other things on those drives, like you you just didn't need to give up the third and 22 and all that kind of stuff, but you don't want to see those breakdowns. We really didn't see that against Nevada, so I think that's kind of the whole point of you want to take away from that. What's fun, too, is all of a sudden this USC at Colorado game, September 30th, Colorado's Ooh. offense looked really good against TCU, so that's a test that maybe some people didn't anticipate before yesterday when Colorado, of course, beats TCU. What a game that was. That was probably the game of the day in college football. Crazy good. There, and there were some other good games, too, but... That's all. Like now, I, I can't wait to get to that point because I think if USC the defense plays well against Colorado on the road against a team that 
maybe people didn't expect much, but the offense is good. It's a good offense. The line was way better. You, you gotta you gotta deal with some really high level recruits uh, on that team. That's Shador Sanders looked like a legit. Yeah. I mean, he threw for five hundred yeah. yards his first FBS Travis game. Hunter, like, yeah, uh, yeah, like that's that's gonna be fun, you know. Um, so yeah, there's. I would enjoy it, you know. Don't yeah, just like, exactly. Uh, hey, you know, I said. Don't get mad until there until there's a reason. To. Yeah, like there's no reason to really be mad right now. Yeah, and you know, USC hasn't lost many games under Lincoln Riley, so take the wins when when you can get. I mean, I put out a, a stat on Twitter today that USC scored 24 points in the fourth quarter. They held the ball for just four minutes and 33 seconds and still managed 24 points. And and Clay Helton's years coaching here, head coach for 62 games. There were 16 of those games where USC scored 24 points or fewer in general. I'm not sure, really, outside of that Oregon State game, which is just a really weird one in general that. We're going to see Lincoln Riley's team score 24 or less points uh, overall. So, you know, maybe the defense takes a slight step back, but you're also, your offense is putting up 50 to 60 points basically every week. And I, I think you you take that and you say, okay, the defense can allow one or two more touchdowns. Now, if it's more than that, and they're allowing, as Connor said, like 45 points in, in a loss, that's when you can be upset. But allowing 14 points to Nevada, even 28 points to San Jose State, like the offense is good enough to weather that. And I think, you know, as a USC fan, you got to realize like the offense is so good, the defense can afford to be not quite as good. And you just got to watch for those small marginal steps. They improve from week one to week two. If they improve from week two to week three, that's that's a win. I think if you got a barometer in this whole thing, it's like our buddy Miller Moss, right? You know, he's the canary in the coal mine. If uh, he's going to be the, he's he's going to indicate what's going well. Like if he comes in late third, early fourth, things are probably going pretty well. Like okay, he's coming in the game, obviously without you know barring some sort of injury. Um, you want to see that, and if they can do that, that's great to do it against San Jose State. I mean, he still came into the game early fourth quarter against San Jose State. He came late third quarter against Nevada on Saturday. You know, you're going to play Stanford. Probably, you know, a lot more talent than them. They're rebuilding. They look like, you know, I think Troy Taylor's going to do a good job there. But if you get to see Miller Moss, like, significant, he gets to run the offense for a little bit, probably things are going pretty well. Maybe the defense didn't play perfect. Maybe the offense had a few gaffes or whatever. But you sort of just want to get there. And if you can do it against Stanford and then Arizona State and maybe even Colorado, like, okay, you're feeling pretty good. And then the competition steps up even more, and you're playing at Notre Dame, and uh, you know, like Arizona's got a really good offense. It'll, I think that's kind of what you want to see is that it's not going to go perfectly. The team's got to give up some points. I know you can complain, whatever, but I feel like if overall it sort of works, and they don't give up a big special teams play, and they don't turn the ball over a bunch, and eventually you're up by 28 points in the fourth quarter, and Miller Moss comes into the game, and I think that's kind of where you want to be. We had a super chat come in, so we'll get to that Ooh, now. Yeah. Marcus Wilson asked, I've noticed no under center plays and no running the ball on early downs. Is this something that needs to change? Passing has stalled some drives. Do, what? What? That's, that's like like, they're, that's they're like, not like, they're a lot of shit. No, I know. I know what he's saying. I'm like, it's, that's, that's like complaining about a Reese's Peanut Butter Cup. Like, it's perfect. Like, what would you want to change about this offense? Like, why would you change anything about what the offense is doing? Well, well why did they do a double pass like, <laughs> when they were already up? I, there, okay, there's some <laughs> weird stuff. That. <laughs> yeah, but like, I get it. The under center thing, is that still going to be a thing? No. Like, just whatever Lincoln Riley wants to do on offense, if he wants to go up in the I formation yeah. or run a triple wing, like, just let him do what he wants to do. Like, I I mean that has to be the answer. I, I I'm agree. not calling for like you need to get under center. Like no, you don't. They did pass. They scored little, 66 points. They did pass it a little more in the first half than I thought. I thought we'd see a little bit more. They could have run but, like. But, but I mean, when you win 66-14, like 
and, and some drive just stalled, no matter w- what happens. Um, but I, I do get the question because remember the early in the game. Was this a super chat question? Yeah. Yes. Crap. Never mind. You're not. You're right. No, thank you for the super chat. <laughs> uh, just no. the, the drives. The drives that did stall in the first half. I, I felt like it wasn't like I said earlier. It wasn't Nevada doing something. It was USC, not Caleb missing a throw, but just it. It just didn't look perfect the way the other drives did. Not every drive is going to be perfect. There's there's some weird things that happen and like there was a couple fades down the left side. Now it's third and ten. You're like, did yeah, you need ex- to exactly. do that? Like you could have just. We I think we looked at each other and like R J was critical too. Yeah, and like <laughs> yeah, when like Jack said, you hand the ball off, you're averaging ten yards a carry. You could just hand the ball off more. And yeah. I think some of it too is just they're trying out different things. Like they they use different offensive line combinations. The first three drives of the game were all three different offensive line combinations. Um, and the second drive stalled out, you know? So sometimes you're sacrificing a little bit of that. I just wouldn't question, like, I, you know, who am I to question, like, Lincoln Riley? If he's, when, you, when, you be, or when you're able to score points like that, there's decisions along the way that you could say that you should have done that one differently. But if he would have done that one differently, it might have made something else different, and you don't score as many points. So um, it's not an under-center team. Um, if they need to do that, they could, like if they're doing a goal line thing or something. But, um, yeah, they're just going to score. They could have definitely run more, but it might just be they're trying out some stuff because yeah. you're an overmatched opponent. That, that, you know? I, I think that's a great point. Like, don't get mad at how Riley's running the offense against Nevada. I bet he is trying to try some stuff out. And if it doesn't work as it would work in, like, a usual game, then it, it's not a usual game. You're so much better than that team you can afford yeah. to try stuff out. He's looking at the big – he wants to win the Pac-12. Like, there is no question that 11 games is not enough. Like, he's doing what he's – he whatever he's doing is what he feels needs to be done to win it all, like, to win everything. So – that's why you're letting your Heisman Trophy winner play between, behind different offensive line combinations. Like, why would you do that? Well, because he's trying to find out what's going to be best. So when it gets the crunch time, he plays those guys. And yeah. that I think this is a long. Think about this as long term. Like, does he care if he gave up 28 points to you know San Jose State? No. Like, he's looking at this long term. And I, I think he also realizes, like, if, if, if we pass a lot now, we're going to be up by a lot. And that means Miller Moss gets an entire quarter. That means you get to put Deuce Robinson in the game with a 70-yard touchdown. You get Quentin Joyner in who had a 40-yard touchdown. Like, you get all these guys in in the first couple weeks. You decide, hey, are they going to be real players for us down the stretch? Or are we going to give them time to redshirt so we have another year of eligibility potentially for them? Like, you realize you can afford that now. I guarantee you, if they're winning by, what, like 28 in the fourth quarter, you're not going to see Miller Moss, like, against Notre Dame. You're not going to see Miller Moss come in, I don't think, and you're not going to see USC just continue to pass the ball and try weird things out. Like they'll, they'll run the ball at that point, but they don't need to against Nevada, and they want to get guys in at the end of the game, so you build up as big a lead as possible. You try things out. You make everyone happy as well. Like, you got all these receivers. You got to feed them at some point. Then come down the stretch of the season when those receivers have already scored. If USC's up big on a big opponent, then they'll start to run the ball, and I, I think you'll... You know, we can see them run the ball pretty well, and I think that's how they would beat Colorado. Like That, that kind of looked like what TCU finally realized late in the game like wait if we run the ball we score like that that's kind of how we have to do it against Colorado like USC is watching that and they'll come out with a different game plan against some of these bigger teams but there was a, a comment that I saw that's exactly where I wanted to go and it's someone asking about Marshawn Lloyd because uh, Marshawn yes. Lloyd was excellent Lamont asked can you speak on how good of a football player Marshawn Lloyd is running receiving and downfield blocking he was outstanding He's an NFL prospect. Yeah, right? he did. No, he did it all. Uh, we got to hear from him a little bit, like after the game. And yeah, he's uh, got his first touchdown as a Trojan. 
Um, I think him and uh, Austin Jones are going to be a great one-two punch there. Looks like Quentin Joyner's like the change of pace guy, but you know, he's he's a legit dude, and I feel like there could be a game, and maybe it's against Colorado, where but they're getting their hands on some balls, and it's just that the passing game isn't quite working that well. If you just want to say, all right, we're going to bring in Lake McCree, he's going to play tight end or whatever, and then we're going to hand off and run off tackle, whatever we're going to do with, uh, you know, do some zone read stuff, and then run, you know, their little play action pass off of that, but just run the ball, run Marshawn Lloyd, and I feel like you could push the pile, he's going to knock some dudes back, he's going to make a guy miss, he had that cool spin move in the, in the hole there, and uh, extended the drive. So, yeah, he's a legit player. Uh, he was a really good running back at South Carolina and uh, someone that, you know, you, you haven't got to see his full potential because you've been playing overmatched opponents. But there's going to be a game or two or more where you could just handle the ball a bunch of times and he's going to, you know, get a bunch of first downs for you. The only concern with him is health. That's the only thing that can stop Marshawn Lloyd. He was a really highly rated recruit coming out of high school and the only thing that slowed him down have been injuries. So if he stays on this path, stays healthy all year, he's a guy I could see going to the NFL and ha having a good career because he can do, like the commenter said, the three things so well. He's not just a running back who can carry the ball. He's exceptional as a blocker. And we saw against Nevada, he can run down the field. He's not just running little button hooks. He's no, running no. down the field and, and beating guys. And that's not easy for a guy who's as thick as Marshawn Lloyd. A lot of these little receivers for USC are skinny guys, can run down the field easy, no problem. Marshawn Lloyd is built, and he's beating defensive backs off the line of scrimmage and linebackers. So uh, I think he has a really high ceiling, and I just hope he can stay healthy because if he does, I think he's going to be really special. That catch, I forget what the down was. It was either like a short yardage thing or something. And uh, I think I might have said to you, like, or, you know, it looks like you're going to run the ball or, you know, and um, – Maybe it was like third and seven. I forget what the down was. And, and it, it, he faked the handoff and then ended, ended up throwing it to him. So it went to him. He just didn't uh, run it on that one. But just that he could kind of go right down the middle. And it looked like a receiver running the route and catching the ball, not yeah. like a big running back. So he, he can beat you. You know, we saw in the spring game, he had that one. He just had that one play, but it was like really special. Um, he'll, he's going to have a game where he's 150 yards, two touchdowns. Like he'll have something like that if you need it. You know, I mean, there's sort of like you could have, if someone said, okay, we need you to make Taj Washington the player of the game. Like he could have had 250 yards. Like they just spread around everybody, you know, or if you, or if you needed Austin Jones or Darwin Barlow or Marshall, like they have to run for 150 yards and three touchdowns. Like they could have done that. Like if they wanted to, it's sort of just like, what, how do you want to score? Like you almost could pick the way you wanted to do it. And Marshawn Lloyd is one of those guys on USC who carries himself as a professional. There are some guys who getting to know them the last few months just had that professional mindset. I put Dorian Singer in that category, Marshawn Lloyd, Caleb Williams, of course, Jonah Monheim. There are some guys and defensive guys too. Jamil Muhammad comes to mind who just act like professionals who are really mature, really get it, understand why they're at USC, what they're trying to accomplish, and I put Lloyd in that category too. Yeah, you just look at the <clears throat> like uh, the professional is one that they go out every play and they're trying to make their teammates better. They're trying to obviously play well, help the team. Marshawn Lloyd was on a route, I think, on the Taj Washington's first touchdown. And yet you see, you're like, how, how did Taj get around that guy? It's like Marshawn Lloyd was 20 yards downfield blocking the guy for that last block that sprung Taj into the end zone. Like that's just something that a running back doesn't have to do. They were just kind of swung out. But like all the guys on this team, for the most part, do that. And Marshawn Lloyd is an example of 
he's where a wide receiver who was going deep should be, but instead he was on a little flat route, saw that Taj got the ball, and was all the way down the field trying to block. And it's like, well, you blocked for Taj, so now when you're running and Taj Washington's around you, he's going to want to block for you to get you into the end zone. And like, it's kind of that infectious nature that the USC wide receiver room has. Lloyd joining the blocking as well. I mean, I asked Mario Williams about it yesterday, and he just like broke into a smile. He's like, that's oh, the best question. Like, he did love your question. Talking yeah. about blocking. It's like, well, you know, they don't normally have to block. Like some schools, wide receivers aren't as big of a blockers. But like, that's Lincoln Riley's offense. It's kind of the way he makes them work. So if you're going to nitpick anything, I would say not the offense. Uh, I mean, they scored 66 points, and, you know, there was one defensive touchdown in there. So if you want to knock it back to 59, it's still a pretty good offensive day. But you have guys like Marshawn Lloyd. I want to shout out Taj Washington as well, who I feel like is kind of before our eyes and going under the radar these last couple years. Like, I think he's that number one wide receiver. Like, he's the he's the guy that, that Caleb Williams went to on that big third down for the 46-yard touchdown, going deep down the left side, had a touchdown early, earlier in the game, like Marshawn Lloyd does all the little things well, and he's just been very reliable. He's returning the most production from last year, and I think maybe we overlooked how important that might be for some guy that already has some chemistry with Caleb Williams. And then you had all the freshmen come in. Like, there's so many guys we could shout out. Talked about it on Instant with Connor yesterday. Like, when you score 66 points, it's hard to give everyone their flower. <laughs> but there were a lot of guys on the USC offense that had some pretty good days. Yeah, it'll be once you, the competition gets better, who are the go-to guys? Like, or, you know, does Taj Washington have a huge game? Or does Mario Williams? Or does Dorian Singer? Like, do we see more of a few of these guys as opposed to, I mean, it's spread around. They had like 11 guys catch ball this past week. I think 12 the week before. Like, they're just spread around. Uh, I think seven different touchdowns or something. Like, I mean, from different players that scored touchdowns. I forget what it is, but like, it's been... This it might be nine and eight different players. Nine, uh, nine, nine touchdowns, eight different, eight different players. Like, yep. yeah. So, I mean, that's a lot. You're spreading it all over the place. And, and how about the, the one guy who has two is Zachariah Bridge. That's true. freshman. <laughs> that's kind of funny. Yeah, that I was a nice... I cut you off, though. Sorry. No, no, no. That was a, that was a great... Uh, I mean, it was a little quieter game for Zachariah Branch, but really nice looking pass over the shoulder thing. That was beautiful. Um, you know, we just, I was watching Chris Trevino's uh, uh, field level highlights and to see that Dorian Singer catch and, um, you know, from that angle, from the end zone, you're like, that just looks like, okay, he's got to throw that away. And, you know, that's, it's a special offense. I enjoy it, you know, like, uh, you're, this is not something you're going to chow down like a TV dinner. You want to savor uh, this yeah. uh, bone and ribeye. You want to savor every bite and uh, just taste the, you know, get all the flavor out of it, you know, because this is a really good offense to watch. Like, it's not going to be all like this all the time. Are you hungry? No, we just ate. We ate before. <laughs> well, and if you're enjoying the ribeye and the rosé tastes slightly off one week, that's okay. It's okay because the ribeye is good enough that you're still going to have <laughs> a solid dinner. Yeah. Um, let's get to some some questions and callers. You guys can still still call in five one two four tunnel. We'll get to questions first. Give you guys some time to call in. Uh, but Lamont, or sorry, uh, Northwest Ninja asks, would you ever have Clay Helton as a guest in the future? If so, would you have him critique Lincoln Riley's coaching? Uh, I now, would love that. Yeah, I get a lot of views. <laughs> I like I like Clay. Like he would come on. Like he's done. He was always good about doing interviews. He would not be criti- he wouldn't be critical of like I mean, I don't know, like a, a dictator. Like he's just not a critical person. He would just be like, Oh, this everything's great, it's awesome. And if like literally Lincoln Riley was scoring twelve points a game, he'd be like, Man, there's so many good things, they do great stuff and they work real hard. He's just not a uh, com- like he just wouldn't be critical. I just, I couldn't see him being like an analyst or anything because he just never would say anything negative about anybody. Uh, let's get to a serious question. Cigar <laughs> asked, Who's the team MVP thus far outside of Caleb Williams? I would say Jonah Monheim. 
You think so? Because he is so talented. He projects as a guard and in the NFL, and he goes to – I mean, I know he played right tackle last year a lot, but he goes to left tackle, a position of need. I, I just think it's the, – the, after Caleb, it's a, such a wide gap, and then you, you could say anyone. I, I look at Jonah. He was my number two most important Trojan in the yeah. 30 countdown. I'd give it to him, but, I mean, it's hard to give an offensive lineman MVP. I, I just think – like in terms of who's the most valuable, if Monheim comes out, yeah, Mason Murphy can play there, but then you're stretched thin at other places. I, I just think everywhere else, if you lose a guy, maybe Bear Alexander, he, he might come to mind too. But I, I guess, I don't know. Th- those would be my two. I, I'd stick with Jonah. I think it's really hard to do that, especially after two games. And I don't think, I mean, if you're, I don't know if there anyone would even qualify because, <laughs> yeah, no, because no, like you're, right. if you're like, uh, oh, okay, Mason Cobb, he's like USC's defense needed him badly, and and Eric Gentry, and like, nope, they're out, and the defense still is fine. You know, it's like there's so many guys playing, they're so much deeper. You couldn't take one person off. It, it, name a defender that you could take off, and they wouldn't have done what they did yesterday. You took off two of the better ones, and they still did fine, you know, and really good. So I don't, I don't think you could give a defensive guy. And everybody's touched the ball on offense. They've used different offensive line combinations. Like, the, to me, it's just Caleb Williams. That's it. Like, in this one, there's just there's enough depth, and you didn't play in you know a tough, tougher competition. Ask me like three, four weeks from now, and it might have a different answer because you might someone that, like Jamil Mohammed might have like six sacks, and he's just been a dominant force. But I, you can't name one dominant force anywhere just because it's so everything's been spread out. In, just in my opinion, yeah, I, I would go Bear Alexander. I think I feel like if you look at the defense and you're trying to figure out like, okay, who's the one guy I could take off the field that would impact the defensive's performance over the first two weeks the most? I think it's Bear. Even Jonah Monheim, like. I think there's just so many players on the USC offense that like anyone could step up and play pretty well and the offense would still be great. Like I'm not sure if Barry Alexander isn't there how many points USC gives up yesterday. He, they don't get that stop on third and one, that's for sure. They, he doesn't have as much, as much pressure and you know Keon Bars has been great, but then like who's rotating in behind him? Uh, I think it would be pretty interesting. I, I would go with, with Alexander, but I think, you know, Ryan, you make a good point that it's only been two weeks. You haven't even seen a lot of the you know USC's best players, as you would call them, coming into the season have to do too much. Like Kalen Bullock, there hasn't been a ton of uh, you know threat over the middle or over the top, really outside of a couple completions. So Bullock, who's so good at playing center field, like we haven't even gotten to, to see him quite, quite, quite as much because there isn't, you know, a huge explosive passing yeah. attack that USC's got again. So he had like a quiet first game and then a really active second game. I thought, yeah. um, you know, we, we, the two linebackers like don't even play much. Like those are probably the best linebackers, and then they don't play. Shane Lee looked really good the next week. Rajon Davis looked really good. I can't believe Florida State's up 38-17 uh, in this one. I that's got good. a national championship future bet on them, baby. I'm nice. loving this. Uh, no, that's uh, pretty impressive. Like, LSU look like the better team, for sure. And USC's first opponent next year is LSU. Florida State yeah. weathered the storm, though. Apparently, Let's they go. got through it. Uh, real th- I wanted to mention something real quick before we get to the other questions, too. Um, sort of a unique situation happened, and we talked about oh, this yeah. last week. So to start the press conference after the game, uh, Lincoln Riley came in by himself. And Katie Ryan, the SID, announced that he was going to make a statement, and he made a very heartfelt statement about how upset he was that Christian Roland Wallace needed to sit out the first half. And we were live doing this uh, last week, talking about on Thursday when we were previewing the game, Jason Shear, who covers the Arizona Wildcats, Wildcat Authority, had literally asked Jed Fish, the head coach of Arizona, did you know that, I forget the player's name, but one of their players needed to sit out the game. Uh, Arizona State was planning sitting out two of their players because four players got ejected in the Territorial Cup, Arizona State, Arizona, uh, and they had to sit out week one of the following year. 
And Christian Roller Wallace was one of those players. And uh, no one, no, no, Lincoln and I made it clear, no one informed them until Thursday. They had already prepped, like he was going to start the game or whatever it was, which makes sense. You know, like if you're game and no one tells you this, and they had, and USC had already played a game. Like this is something, and he's, you know, he said, look, their mistakes happen, oversights happen, and basically that's what this was. No one realized that that was supposed to be the case, but then it was. Jed Fish, who was involved in the game, wasn't aware of it until Thursday either. So uh, there's no way Lincoln Riley would have known if the, if one of the coaches was involved. But he really was upset that they sat, you know, he's like, he's such a good player that he didn't want any of his reputation to be damaged because they watched the film, made sure that he didn't do anything. He wasn't involved in the fight, but somehow he got ejected. And he was really, really upset about it. And, uh, you know, I'd asked him if he talked to Jed Fish and he said yes. And, um, you know, they had communicated about it. Um, and I'd asked him if they, you know, for the other point. But, you know, it was just, it was interesting to hear his sort of like heartfelt um, plea to like, hey, don't knock this kid. Like this was not, you know, he shouldn't have had to sit out for this one. And it's a total mistake by the conference and whoever. Like he, he played one week and then he's not going to play in, in the next week for the first half. Uh, he ended up starting in the third quarter coming out of the first drive. But uh, I thought that was just kind of interesting that Lincoln Riley, I mean, it, I don't think anybody was thinking bad about Christian Roland Wallace. It just seemed kind of dumb that he had to sit out. The fact that he played week zero, but he was going to sit out week one. Uh, but it was, it was, I don't know, that was just kind of an interesting interaction on what you guys thought. But It was unprecedented for Riley to do something like that because after a game, Riley takes questions and there's some players on either side of him who also take questions. And before the players came in, Riley just addressed the media by himself. That hadn't happened before, right? No, we haven't mm -hmm. seen something like that where it was sort of like a statement to start things. Yeah, yeah. so he, I mean, he was angry. I haven't seen the film. Is there is there any film you've seen from the end of that game? So, I, I mean, I just I, – I think Riley wouldn't have said what he said if his team hadn't looked at the film and it looked like Christian Roland Wallace shouldn't have been ejected. So I take Coach Riley at his word, but I haven't seen the film on that. So disappointing from the Pac-12. And I think, Jack, you mentioned it on Instant Analysis – it sounded like they ruled, and no matter what evidence anyone brought up, their ruling was final. They, they, that was in the past. They were done with it. And I wonder, too, if Jason Shear hadn't brought that up to Jed Fish if the guys would have been suspended because it sounded like some people at ASU knew that they were out, but Arizona and USC didn't know that their players were out. So that, I think, was internal at ASU. No one from the Pac-12 told them. Yeah, so Kenny Dillingham apparently knew, and from what I was told from Chris Cartman, who covers Arizona State, that they were aware of this like two weeks ago. So, I mean, that's the sort of thing that if you're going to have a player sit out, um, Cartman told me that those players weren't running with the ones for the, you know, the part. This was during fall camp because they weren't going to be able to start that first game. So it, it impacted their preparation for the start of the season. Um, and the fact that you tell a coach on Thursday that this guy that you've been prepping and played last week already, now he can't play because of something that happened last year at another school. It's, yeah, that was, I get it. I mean, I think it's just one of those things where, uh, you know, it's, it's an oversight. He wasn't really, you know, blaming anybody, but that's a, it's, you put the kid in a bad spot and sometimes, and I think this was what interesting he said, like, Sometimes you just have to look at whatever's going on and just do the right thing. I, I, I'm paraphrasing what he was saying, but it was like, just there, there's a, 
a right thing to do. And the right thing was to be like, you don't need to sit out for this one. And they didn't do it. And uh, I think he was just kind of upset that common sense didn't sort of take over. Yeah, and you know whether they're right or wrong about whether he should have been ejected in the first place. Like, there's no skirting around the fact that USC should have known before Thursday. Yeah. <laughs> and if you're going, if you're only going to tell them on Thursday, and then they come to you with an appeal, you can't say sorry, it's too late because the Pac-12 is the reason it, it's too late for an appeal. Like, uh, you know, I, unless they got back to him like Saturday morning, which I, I you know, with the way the Lincoln Riley was talking about it, didn't really seem like that was the case. Like, the Pac-12 comes to you on Thursday, you appeal it pretty quickly and then they say sorry it's too late like that's that's on the Pac-12 and you know maybe the the coaching staff saw the film and they were you know a little blinded by the fact that Christian Roland Wallace is still on the team I, I haven't seen it either but like no matter what they could be super wrong and he should have been ejected the first time like the tr the fact of the matter is USC should have known before Thursday and they should have had at least maybe a chance to appeal it and maybe it gets turned down maybe it doesn't but it's just like the, the Pac-12 you know clearly mismanaging the situation um, and you know Lincoln Riley was was pretty passionate early on and then he 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 took a couple steps back. He's like, I don't want to make this sound like an attack on the conference. Like everyone makes mistakes, but like you could tell that early on the way he was talking about it, like they, they were not happy and they, they were pretty upset. Um, and he kind of backed off any confrontational nature about it and just said he was looking out for Christian Roland Wallace, you know, a guy that's a senior, maybe doesn't have any more games of college football left. So taking away a half of ball, yeah. as Lincoln Riley called it, it's like for a guy that wants to play in the NFL, you know, maybe go on to do special things for this USC team. Like that's taking away a lot of football left in Christian Roland Wallace's career. And then he also mentioned, you know, just the reputation of a guy that's been a class act since getting to USC. So he kind of you know, took the took his foot off of the neck of, of the Pac-12, and then kind of shined a light more on why Christian Wall Roland Wallace didn't deserve to be suspended. But like you could tell, the first minute or so of when he was talking, it's like they were pretty upset at the conference and having you know maybe maybe the best coach in the conference coming and taking shots at you before your press conference even starts. Like that's not a good look for the Pac-12. Yeah, I think I had asked him about the communication or whatever, and it, you know it, that's what the problem was and. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you didn't sit him out for week zero, you didn't inform USC that he needs to not play in your first game, how do you justify doing it in the second game? Like, it's supposed to be the next game. It's like if if USC runs a play and there's like, a, it looks like the guy caught the ball and is out of bounds, and then they run the next play and they line up now it's second and five, and you're like, oh, wait, I don't think he was in bounds. Let's go replay the play from two plays. Like, no, that's you're already past this. Like, you missed your opportunity. He played in his first game. You didn't say, hey, he's not allowed to play. You don't enforce it now. You know, oh, no, you were out of bounds two plays ago. We're going to go back. Um, that's just not the way that works. So I think that's part of the whole, besides him, you know, not being involved, you know, according to Lincoln Riley in the fight, no reason to be ejected. You've just you've missed your window already. Why are you going to go back? And why is he missing time in the middle of the season and supposed to the beginning of the beginning of the season is already over for USC? They played week zero. Um, it's yeah, it is just a bad look. Kudos to whoever was at Arizona State that kind of figured it out. Uh, but the, you know, and I think you had tweeted something, and, and Jason Shears said like, "My bad" or "Sorry" or something, because he's the one that kind of started all this by asking Jed Fish about a player that he didn't know was not going to be eligible to start the game. Ryan, the suspension was for week one, not week zero. So. And that was funny. When we were reading the statement, like, that's what they said. And it was like, 
Okay, and, well, and you know that they didn't even think about complete week zero. crap. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. complete crap. I feel bad for Christian Roland Wallace too because remember against San Jose State he came out and played really well in the second half and looked to me like he really could push Damani Jackson for one of those starting outside corner spots and maybe losing the first half against Nevada cost him a chance to get some reps and continue to push and show the coaching staff why he deserves to start. Yeah, yeah the way that Lincoln Riley was talking about like yeah, practice, we finished yeah. the entire preparation part for the game like you could you could you know maybe read between the lines there and think like maybe Christian Rolla Wallace is starting over to money Jackson which means on the second play of the game maybe there isn't that deep ball like <laughs> yeah. who knows it, that's, it's 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 it, yeah. it like it's those small things that like you, you look at it and you know maybe Christian Rolla Wallace did end up earning a starting job in that first game and then didn't get a chance to do it in this in the second and I can think we'll see a little bit more next week against Stanford but we can get back to the to the regular schedule programming but yeah Ryan thanks for bringing that up that was definitely no you know it was an interesting thing to, to, to see Lincoln Riley come out about that and he was really forward about the way he felt about the situation we got a question from Marcus on YouTube he says do you see Rajon Davis taking over as the lead linebacker alongside Cobb and do you think that Shane Lee earned more playing time uh, I don't think he's gonna I think they're gonna rotate guys um, I don't think Rajon Davis is like just taking over the whole linebacker room but he showed I, I think they're gonna look at the film and say yeah he was effective you watched the film against uh in the Cotton Bowl, he was very effective. I, you know, I'm sure there's mistakes and that happens, but I think they just feel more confident. Like they didn't seem all that confident in Shane Lee in the first week, and he made he played great. I thought uh, on Saturday. Same thing with Rajon Davis, and you love what Eric Gentry brings. I mean, I asked Rajon Davis about that today and just his range and what he's able to do disrupting. I think they're all those guys are going to play, um, and I think it's a good thing. I mean, the depth. Like you're not going to have some guy playing with a club on his hand like you did last year where there was just no other options. Now you at least have other options. But I feel like now Rajon Davis is going to be, you know, a significant part of the plan. I wouldn't say he's like taking over the linebacker room or anything. I hope he's a significant part of the plan. I think he's deserved it. Yeah. But if everyone's 100% healthy and ready to play, I think Mason Cobb is clearly that first linebacker on the list of guys who, who you'd name if you were the coaches because that's – who they feel is the best player. And then it's Eric Gentry and Tackett Curtis. If everyone's 100% ready to go, I imagine Gentry would be ahead of Curtis, but Curtis would be right there. And then I think after that, Gentry, or excuse me, uh, Rajon Davis and Shane Lee would be after that. I think if everyone's ready to go 100% healthy, the staff has their favorites, and I think it's those three. So Davis and, and Shane Lee, if they keep playing really well, can they break into that? Sure. But I don't know if one game against Nevada changes the equation much if everyone's healthy. Yeah, yeah I think also the question, like kind of the way it's posed, like seeing Rajon Davis take over as a starter alongside Mason Cobb. Like I have a hard time believing if Eric Gentry is fully healthy that he's not one of the two starting linebackers. Like we just saw how much he changed the game against San Jose State and you know I'm not ready to forget about that just because he missed one game due to injury like I think that he's he's the guy you know when he comes back and if everyone's fully healthy like I I find it I would find it hard to believe that Eric Gentry wouldn't be one of those starters and you know maybe you've got him paired with someone else and then you rotate another two guys in and you are rotating so I think it's a good problem to have as you mentioned earlier to have a lot of linebackers and only able to play a couple because you've got competitive depth and you've got guys to push each other for starting jobs and it you know it wouldn't surprise me either if you've got the starting positions kind of changing hands throughout the season at least a couple times but there was another question that came about the defense or, and the offense really Andrew asked which unit needs to improve the most from this week to next week I want to see the offensive line get better um, there's you know Caleb Williams there's it's great when he does his Houdini stuff but sometimes you'd rather just have him sit in the pocket and not be disrupted now some of it is I think they're just mixing mixing and matching a little bit and that does cause some problems it's a it's a group that um, it's like five fingers on a hand, you know, like you, you want them all to kind of work together 
And if you're changing them all, uh, you know, it's, I think it makes things a little bit more difficult. But I'd like to see that offensive line play better. Now, they ran the ball for 10 yards to carry, and, all, you know, okay, I get it. But they're still, you know, giving up some, you know, and there's a lot of offensive line penalties in this game. Uh, there was false starts and holds and things. So um, I want to see the offensive line play a cleaner game and keep, you know, Caleb Williams clean. Uh, I think you're going to need more of that as the season goes on. It's tough to nitpick after a 66-14 win, but I look at the cornerbacks. I just would like to see more from the corners. I thought they didn't play exceptionally well against San Jose State. Nevada, a few breakdowns. Damani Jackson, the big play early in the game, and then he wasn't covered on a fourth down. Tough to nitpick after a huge win like that, but... I'm a little skeptical of the corners, and I want to see what they look like against better teams. Yeah, I think I'd echo that. I think that you've seen basically everywhere else on the defense like show they can make the big play. And we've seen the corners, you know, they've been in position to make big plays. Like Demonte Jackson had dropped interception in week one. Like Sierra Wright was, had good coverage on that first touchdown, uh, that, that big one in, in, the, in the right pylon, the first game against San Jose State. But, like, you know they're in position. We've been saying, you know, for two weeks now, they can make the play. Like, that's one that, you know, most of the time they can knock in complete or they can pick it off. Like, I think you, you can see them make that bigger play, and that's you know what you want to look for. Everywhere else on the defense has kind of shown like, hey, we can we can make a big stand here. Like the pass rushers have been getting to the quarterback. The Jalen Smith I thought played well from the nickel. They had guys that stepped up into the hole, forced tackles for loss, got big stops on third down. Like the corners, I don't think have had like that moment yet. So I would I think I would echo Connor there. Uh, and then we've got a couple more questions. This one comes from Cameron. Said which true freshman or backup impressed you the most on both sides of the ball? So pick one offense and one defense. Against Nevada or overall? He said yesterday, so yes, just against Nevada. Uh, Defensively, it has to be Braylon Shelby for the, the strip sack and Stanley Taufuo picking it up and running it in for a touchdown. That was pretty big, yeah. He, you know, he, just, he looks like he's it's like an active player in there, you know? On offense, Zachariah Branch scored with the ones, so that carries more weight for me, but then Deuce Robinson with a big touchdown. That was touchdown. pretty nice, yeah. Quit Joyner with a big touchdown. Alani Noah probably isn't in this conversation, but he was getting some significant snaps later in the game. I might go with Joyner. Just, um, you know, I think he's a regular. I think he's going to be a part of this running back rotation coming in as like a change of pace kind of guy. So, uh, I mean, Zach Wright Branch is, is awesome too, but. Uh, I mean, I'd probably give the edge a joiner in this one. Yeah, that Mason Murphy played pretty well, too. I, on offense, I'm going to go with uh, Darwin Barlow, though. Like, he came in before Quentin Joyner, and it feels like he's kind of that running back that always gets lost. Like, he got, I think it was one carry, and it was another grown man run. Like, you can go check it on Chris's field-level highlights. I know Chris enjoyed watching Barlow run because he just, he's so hard to bring down. And, you know, that's a guy that last year it was, you know, when Travis Dye went down, Austin Jones stepped up, and then Barlow was the two. This year, you know, it would be a similar thing. So I think, like, if you have an injury in the running back room it's good to know you've got a guy like Barlow who can go out there be a tough physical runner and you know it's it's hard because who are you taking carries away from but I'd definitely like to see them give him some more run and I think I would echo Connor again that I, I think Braylon Shelby just has to be that guy on defense uh the, there was another question from Marcus that said what happened with Austin Jones and not getting a decent workload and I think this is a pretty interesting discussion that we mentioned on instant analysis yesterday like maybe they're getting Austin Jones some rest but Marshawn Lloyd played so well that it, it was hard to take him off the field and it led to Austin Jones only getting two carries. But I, I think, I mean, uh, Lloyd, I think, only had like seven or something, right? Yeah. Like, it wasn't like he got 15, 20 carries. Like, there just wasn't that many carries to go around. I think it, that's just sort of like the way it goes. And I think some of those plays, you know, Austin Jones is in, and it's sort of an option, and it might end up being a quick pass instead of a run. Like, so, yeah, I don't think you can read anything into that. He got two touchdowns in the first week and just didn't get as many 
opportunities, but they didn't run that many plays. You know, it was uh, they just whatever play they ran just worked really well. <laughs> so there just wasn't that many of them. So I, I wouldn't read too much into it. Yeah, some games like Mario Williams hasn't had a huge game yet. I wouldn't be surprised if he catches two touchdowns against Stanford. Yeah, I think sometimes. When you have this kind of depth at the skill positions, some guys are going to have games that make you say, wow, why aren't they playing more? And then, oh, wait, this guy, but maybe why isn't he playing? It's just so much talent that sometimes not everyone who maybe deserves to get touches will get touches. He might have the most catches, right? It was like he, he might have four, if I'm not did, mistaken. Yeah. So, yeah, it, just, it was just kind of quiet. Um, Had a drop on that one Miller. Are you talking no, about that, that ball wasn't underthrown. Yeah, that, that should have been a touchdown. Yeah, if, if – yeah, I mean, now I think Miller would want that throwback, and I think we asked uh, him about it, and uh, you know, he could have came down with it, but it was—he threw it to the defender instead of throwing it to space, and so that would have been a tough one. But yeah, I think he had the most catches; it just didn't have, um, you know, some huge, crazy highlight play. But that's, like you said, you know, how, how many plays was it? Was it like sixty plays or fifty? I know plays it was fourteen less than Nevada ran. Yeah, it was, it was just not that many plays, and so there's just not that many opportunities. So. Yeah, Mario also had that play where he slipped, and you know he could have almost taken it for a touchdown, but lost his footing. And oh, if yeah. you go back and watch his interview, I think he was almost he was close to saying, I think that ball was a little bit underthrown when he was asked, like, oh, you know, how close were you and Miller to linking up there? He, he seemed like he was very close to saying it, and then he kind of just stopped his sentence right in the middle and and didn't finish it. But we've got uh, one more important question, and I think this one is is it's important to talk about. Uh, Trojan Trojan asks, so what exactly is the injury status with Gentry, Shane Lee, Mason Cobb, and then specifically Gino Quinones? We didn't get an update yet. Um, so after the game, uh, Quinones, he talked. He, he was in the locker room. I, he took the photo with all the offensive linemen. He was in that photo, so that's good. But I wouldn't expect to see Yeah, he said it was too early to kind of tell. He didn't tell us what was. It didn't sound like either the Gentry or the um, Cobb injury was serious, but he's you know he didn't really share much about it. Um, I, I so. think Gentry is less serious than Cobb. I think Cobb's going to miss a couple of weeks. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it's it's easy to speculate on that regard. But Gentry is a guy like he played last week. Um, we've seen him in practice, so it, it might just yeah. be like them easing off a little bit. But Cobb looked completely healthy in the San Jose State game, and then all of a sudden, after seeing him in practice, we don't see him in the game. So, uh, you know, I'm not sure what happened in that regard. And then Gino Cunis, it definitely looked like a bad injury. I mean, eventually got carted off to the uh, back to the locker room. So they'll have to wait for an update because Lincoln Riley didn't have one. We've got a super chat at the last second. Oh, Rob thanks. Lee dropping five bucks says we we know Caleb is looking really good but do we think that there will be more of an emphasis running the ball against the better teams yeah absolutely i think they'll run the ball a lot more against the better teams if the game plan calls for it if lincoln riley sees something and usc can beat a team that's good passing a lot more than they'll pass but i think they're going to need that balance against the better teams and i anticipate a lot more running when uh it, it's called for against those better opponents it was almost 50 50 against san jose state um but i think he comes up with game plans and yeah. there's there's a reason behind what he does, and there's just going to be certain games where, like, hey, we're going to run the ball more, and with these guys, and then these kind of formations, and um, and I, I feel like it's going to depend on what he feels and what he sees on tape, and what he feels is going to be the most effective. Um, so I don't think it's something. I I feel like people. I mean, they run the ball like they they like to run the ball. You know, like I said, San Jose State it was half runs. Um, it's not an, except Mike Leach, you know, rest in peace, 70% throwing air rate. It's just not that kind of a thing. But Caleb Williams gets a lot of attention for everything uh, he does back there. So, but yeah, I think 
if the game plan calls for it, they'll be they they have no problem running the football. I think people often forget too, like when they needed a couple yards last year, they gave it to Travis Dye and he was excellent on third and fourth down conversions. Like when they need to get a couple yards, when they need to convert, they're going to the running game. And I think that we will see that against uh, some of the some of the better teams on the schedule. Because also, I think when it comes down to that stretch, like maybe USC is scoring in eight to 10 plays instead of four plays every single time. When you're running more plays, you're getting more running plays as well. So uh, I think that's something that we'll see down the stretch. Yeah. But we've got one caller in the queue and then we can end it. Put them on. Hi, caller. You're on Tunnel Vision. Hi, guys. Dave from Iowa, as usual. You know, it's Dave time here on Tunnel Vision. Dave time. But so, hey, I got a couple things. Dave time, as usual, right? But so, I got a couple questions. I'm one. Uh, you know, Connor, so just curious. Do you think Eric Gentry gaining 15 pounds this offseason, do you think that's actually going to help him, you know, stay healthy? I mean, obviously, he's injured. But, like, seriously, at 6'6", 215, he's a basketball playing arguably the toughest position um, on defense, that linebacker where you're hitting guys, and, you know, you could get hit as well. So just curious, do you think that extra 15 pounds actually makes a difference? And then second, you know, Lincoln Riley, great offensive mind, but I'm just curious. And, you know, may, maybe you guys can ask him this too. Do you, does he actually believe in the philosophy, you know, offense wins games, defense wins championships? Because you guys and him are saying that, hey, this team, you know, 11 wins isn't enough, we're going to the playoffs. Congrats. He did that two. He did that two times or three times at Oklahoma, and you know what happened when, when, when like what happened when he faced the SEC. I mean, come on, the SEC won out because hey, they play defense. And in terms of statistically, you know, you guys, you guys and fans, you know, hey, they can make it to the playoffs. Top forty defense. If you want to make that, if you want to win the national championship, it's got to be a top twenty defense. Oklahoma's defense the last three years with um, Lincoln Riley, uh, they take out the COVID year, so twenty seventeen through twenty nineteen. You know, sixty fourth. 102nd and then you know 60th or whatever the case is and you know you know they're really you know there was slight progression but again you know you go from like mid 60s to just outside the 100 and then back to the 60s again you know all right Dave, we're gonna wrap it up here. thanks okay so, thank you we got it we got the, we got your point thanks um okay so this isn't the whole dave show um i'll address the, the second part first so how many playoffs have usc been to any zero none okay so I think the goal of going, winning the Pac-12 and going to the playoffs, won one Pac-12 championship game in like the last 11 years. Like, that's a big deal. And so you have to get there. This was a team that was four and eight, and they go to 11 games. You're talking about trying to win a national championship. I get it. Like, I get it. You know, you want to do that. They were very close to beating, I think it was Georgia. I mean, they, they had shootouts with those, you know, Georgia gave up a lot of points to them too. Um, and just weren't able to kind of get over the top. And that's fine. I mean, he had some really good games uh, in those playoffs. But he brought them to play one conference championships. USC needs to get that. I think that's a good first step. If you want to talk about, oh, this is not, I don't like this formula. You're not going to win the national championship this year. In year two, fine. I mean, I don't, I mean, what do you want to say? Like, you haven't made a playoff before. You haven't, you've won one conference championship with Clay Helton in 2017. Like, that's it. So the way we're talking about, I think that's a more realistic goal. I think, Lincoln Riley's goals are probably bigger than that, and that's okay. I'm, I'm not setting goals like winning a national championship. I'm saying try to make the college football playoff. They are a good enough team to do that, and USC's never done it. So I think that's, uh, I think that's important, and you know that's kind of what you're, you're trying to do here. We saw Ohio State and Georgia play. Did anybody stop anybody? Like, no, there was a lot of points being scored. Kyle Whittingham, who's – what do you think about? Like, great punting and defense and ball control – at Pac-12 Media Day, he said, 
analytics now say offense is more important than defense. So if he's saying that, I think you can throw out the cliche that defense wins championships because it clearly does not. Yeah, two of his Oklahoma playoff losses as well were in that Rose Bowl against Georgia where no one was stopping anyone. It just happened to be Georgia scored, you know, one more time in overtime and Lincoln Riley just couldn't get, you know, that that one final score to move on. The other one's against LSU and and Joe Burrow. Like, no one stopped them all year. You could have had, you know, one of the best defenses in the country. They went up against some of the best defenses in the country and they they still blew them out. So, like, those are two losses and it's easy to, you know, nitpick those or just talk about them as a generalization. But you got to look at, you know, how the games went as well and, I think that that is maybe one of the reasons he left to come here to USC. Like, there's no defense in the Big 12 at any of the schools. There's some defense here in the Pac-12. There's defenses from California schools. Like, he didn't have a you know great off or great defensive talent at Oklahoma. And then maybe one of the reasons why he came out here to recruit from the Los Angeles area, then moved to the Big Ten. Like, you're not going to have the best defense in the country in your second year taking over for a four and eight USC team. Like that's, it's just an unrealistic expectation. So I think I'd agree with you there, Ryan. And if you make the playoff, no USC fan can complain. Even if they don't win the first playoff game, even if they don't win the national championship, like going from four and eight to the playoffs in a two year stretch, and you could have had maybe back to back playoff berths before it turns to 12 teams. Like, it's more than a one-year process. It's more than a two-year process. Um, and I think that if any fan was complaining about USC going to the playoffs and losing in the first playoff game, then they've set their sights on something unrealistic. Yeah, I think Lincoln Riley is one of the best coaches in college football, but it's absolutely fair to call out his defensive track record, I think. He is an offensive genius, but he is not quite at that championship level yet. And why is it? It's not because of his offenses. It's because of his team's defenses. So I think Dave's question about us going to a press conference and saying, Coach, hey, do you think defenses win championships? Lincoln Riley would kick us off the practice field if someone (laughs) asked that. He knows how important defense is. And, Ryan, you're right. Offense now is probably more important than ever. But looking at Lincoln Riley's track record, the the defenses at his programs have been the Achilles heel on those teams. So that's why this year is so fascinating. Can the defense just be good enough? because yeah. we all know how good the offense is. So I mean, Nick Saban ch- changed his philosophy too. I mean, they yeah, they be there. They score a lot of points now. Like that's not something that you didn't see them getting the Tua Tungavailoa throwing the ball over the field kind of stuff and having you know first round wide receivers all the time. Like it's more the Derrick Henrys and stuff. They would like run the football, play defense, and he realized like you go up against a guy like Riley, like no matter how good we are, they're still going to score. We have to score too. So it's just change. College football's changed, and yes, you want the defense to be better. He could, you know, his track record certainly shows it can be better, but making the playoff and getting boat raced by Georgia, I think that's still a huge accomplishment. You want to make the playoff, have some momentum, win the Pac-12 your last year before going to the Big Ten. I think that's the most important thing. Win the conference this year. And all you need to do that is like a decent defense. Unless there are some serious injuries, I don't see them getting boat raced by anyone. I think the offense can Yeah, they can somewhat come. Caleb gives you a puncher's chance no um, matter what. As for the Eric Gentry thing, so gaining the the pounds, the fifteen pounds. I just get nervous about his body type as such a lanky guy who's battled injuries in the past. That has to be a concern. So until he proves that at USC he can, and he hasn't even gone a full season this year because he missed this game, but until he puts together a big string of games where he's 100%, I think health will always be a concern with him. And that's why we've talked so much about Rajon Davis and Shane Lee today because you're going to need some competitive depth there at the linebacker spot. You can't rely on Gentry based on what's happened these uh, this year and last year. I hope that changes and he stays healthy and he has a great year. I think everyone associated with USC feels that way, but I don't think anything that we've seen in his year and however many months he's been with USC uh, that you can rely on him just because of his health. So will adding the, the weight help? It should, 
but I think his body type, no matter how much weight you add, it, it's a it's a body type that lends itself to getting hurt at that size. Yeah. I have an interesting question for you guys. Sure. We can end it on this one. At what point in the season, if USC hasn't had a blow-up defensive game, like just a terrible defensive game, at what point does the narrative shift and does does this defense start to look like this is a defense that could be good for the entire season? It's been two weeks. I think they've played pretty well through two weeks, got better from, from the first one to the second one. At what point in the season... Do we start? Do we stop getting questions about you know is this defense doomed? And do we start like oh is this defense like is this defense legit? At what I, point in the season? I, I think all year because when the offense is as good as the offense is, the defense is going to just get so much time on the field. And if USC is scoring fast and scoring a lot, the defense will be out a lot, and then they'll be set up not to fail, but they'll be set up to look not perfect. They'll be set up to look bad because the offense is so good. So I mean, if I had to pinpoint a, a certain game, I think. Colorado and Arizona, if, if the defense plays well against those two teams, you, you're happy about it. But I'd maybe say after Utah, based on what happened the last couple of years, can you go out and look good against a Utah? That might sway some people. But if Colorado, Arizona, Notre Dame all goes really well, that's three straight weeks against three pretty good teams. Maybe then. I think a lot of fans, though, want to see what it looks like against Utah, a team who certainly had USC's number last year. Yeah, I think the realistic aspect is is Arizona because of the, the offense. They, you know, Dorian Singer is over at USC now, but they still bring back like 80-something percent of – I mean, they bring back a lot on the offensive side. Jaden Delora can make mistakes, but can, you know, light good quarterback. Yeah, light the yeah. you know light the the field on fire too. Um, if you have a pretty good performance against a really good, what I think is going to be a really good Arizona offense, I think that should be like, all right, this is good enough. You're going to get some stops, and then you know, I think you should. I don't think it's going to happen, but that's a point where you'd be like, oh, you feel pretty good now going into this meaty part of the schedule where you're on the road at Notre Dame and, you know, you got Utah at home and Washington and Oregon on the road, um, UCLA, you know, there's, you feel like that should be the point where that Arizona game, if you have a pretty good performance against uh, the, you know, the Wildcats, like that's a really good offense. And, you know, even at some point Colorado, we'll see, you know, how you do on that. Shador Sanders, like, well, you know, they got some tough games coming up too. But, um, yeah, I think that's the realistic aspect of it. But people will probably look at those teams and like, oh, Colorado stinks and Arizona's terrible. They haven't made a bowl. So wait till Notre Dame. But I, I think you should honestly feel better if USC has pretty, you know, okay performances, decent performances against Colorado and Arizona. Yeah, there's one fan in the chat that says four more games under 28 points given up in each, and then you can discuss the defense being a better unit this year. Man, he's just a prove-it guy. Okay. So there you go. That's a, that's what they've got to do. And so if that happens, we're going to make sure you guys stick to that in the comment section. And no more calls about you know, firing Alex Grinch and everything like that. But, you know, it, it, we kind of were talking about the Nevada game. Connor and I said it on instant analysis. Just about as good as a performance as you could ask for for week two. You're not saying... This immediately makes USC national championship contenders because it is Nevada. You have a couple injuries here and there, a couple big plays, a couple penalties. But other than that, I thought it was a pretty clean game. The offense looked good. The defense really stood its ground after the first drive. I mean, first team offense was first team defense was on the on the field for ten drives to give up seven points. If you find something in there to complain about, you can. <laughs> uh, but you know, without your about, two best linebackers, talk yeah. about the game as a whole. It was a good game for USC's defense. I think everyone can admit that. Maybe you're not buying into the rest of the season yet, and they'll have to prove it to you. But I think they proved in week one or in, in week one, I guess, because they're week two. But they improved from from their first game to their second game, and that's what we were looking for. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they play against Stanford. I think the opening line, Connor, you said it before the show, twenty seven 
one point. So another game that we'll probably be talking about on Thursday that USC should win. And now the question is, can they do the little things, do little things right and improve on some of these things that we've talked about today? Yeah, so Thursday night we got the we'll do our preview show for the Stanford Cardinal uh, conference play. The uh, potentially last time you're going to play Stanford, they're going to be joining the ACC. What? Uh, yeah, <laughs> the ACC, the Atlantic uh. Coast Conference that Stanford and Cal will be in. So you know, watch Florida State in their you know their conference foe. It was Maybe. funny this morning. <laughs> um, you know. You want to watch football because it's football season. Finally get the and it was uh, Rutgers and Northwestern. Uh, Northwestern, like <laughs> heck of a game, just a crap, crap game. And uh, yeah, and it's like I tweeted out, like, can you believe this is like these are going to be USC's conference foes coming up uh, next year? Like those, you know, you got oh Rutgers, yeah, they're in our they're they're in our conference, like they are. Oh yeah, and Northwestern, like sure, all right. Northwestern look could be worse than like Colorado was last year. Like they're just, I mean, obviously well, a lot of stuff has happened. <laughs> they They've had a day. It's like if Colorado had Arizona State's like past issues with everything going on, like all the turmoil. Yeah. But I think those are the those are the conference foes that USC is excited to see in the Big Ten. Like I'm not sure how much they want to play Michigan and Ohio State, but you know, give me an entire schedule full of Northwestern and Rutgers, and then we can talk <laughs> about a national championship. Yeah, but that was you got to see CBS. Big Ten for the first time. So, like, all this stuff is sort of changing, like, the, you know, the landscape where the TV games are. Um, yeah, I don't know. If, hopefully, CBS, that's our parent company. Hopefully, they didn't pay too much for that game. But I think <laughs> a lot of people probably watched because yeah, it was, like, yeah, the only thing prime, on. You know? Not prime time, but the only thing on. I think in 20 years, we'll all look back at this realignment and just kind of laugh because there has to be two, one or two super conferences coming up, right, where just the best teams who make the most money – they're in one conference or two conferences, and then there's a line, and then the other teams who don't make as much money are in another conference or another level or something. That has to be the way it goes. I think this the amateur model of, of, of student-athletes and all that, it's coming to a close. It might not be soon, but two decades from now, is it going to look like this? Are Stanford and Cal going to be in the ACC? That makes no sense. Yeah. makes no sense for Stanford women's basketball, the one of the best teams in the country, to, to go across and, and the country and play like a Syracuse women's basketball team who's done nothing in the, the history of, of college basketball. Uh, it's, it's, it's not right. I think you're more likely to see it all come crashing down and get wiped away than you are to see it go further into super conference-ness. My guess is that if before that happens, it would just kind of come crashing down. I, I, I think that, I think you're going to see consolidation. But you're and my partner on the podcast of Champions, David Woods, is like, basically what it's going to come down to. He thinks it's going to be like one big, like you know, like an NFL or something, yep. and maybe it's sixty teams or forty teams or whatever. And then what makes sense for that? Well, you want to play the teams in your geographical region, so you split <laughs> them up. So it's basically like you like come all together and then like. Join back like to the you, you go back to what it was like. You're like you should be playing Oregon and Washington and Cal and Stanford and and Arizona State. You know, like that's just what it should be. So there'll probably be this sort of some sort of like consult. I think you need to get it to the point where it comes under one un one umbrella, and then you have a ruler. You have the czar of college football, and then they sort of may like you know what makes sense regional shit. You know, so just like go out here and play the teams that are in your area. So I think it probably eventually kind of get back to that. But I mean. All this stuff is happening. If you're a USC fan, like you have to say, you got off. You know, you're in a good spot. Like, yes, it's weird that you're playing in the Big Ten, but you do have some West Coast partners now. And I know some people don't like it that that Oregon's there, but at least you have 
you know, some extra West Coast partners and you're making a lot more money than they're making in the same conference, leaving at the exact same time. Um, and and the you stole their athletic director, too. And st steal Washington's athletic director. And the irony is, like, the Pac-12 is as good as it's been in years. And the only undefeated conference, and it's their last year. Like, they literally are going to disintegrate after this year. So um, yeah, it's a shame. I know we had a, an Oregon State fan in the chat, too. And I think the Beavs looked really good. Like, with DJ as the quarterback, they, they've been, you know, Trent Bray takes over the defense. They looked really good. They shut. They were the only team that shut USC down really last year on defense. They did a good job, but they couldn't really score. Damian Martinez is a dynamic back. Um, I mean, they they really moved the ball. I thought pretty well uh, against uh, San Jose State today. So I think they're going to be a legit contender for the Pac-12. Um, they look good. USC and Oregon State they'll play. Maybe they'll play in the championship game. That that would be fun. But Jonathan Smith does a great job. We were talking about this offline. Um, but the Pac-12 looks great. You know. Cal scoring 50 points like what the heck is that like <laughs> how is like no like that's not that, that's not even possible so there's a lot you know Washington State man you watched them play Fresno State last year in the bowl game they couldn't throw a pass beyond the line of scrimmage Cameron Ward looks a lot better like there's just a lot better teams right now in the Pac-12 and uh you know I'm curious to see you know Arizona like how competent ASU they didn't look very good, but like I said, they had that haboob or whatever. Like some, they were performing. <laughs> we'll never it. not laugh. It just sounds like a made-up word. It yeah. is like, it, but uh, the desert people like know what it is. Uh, but you know, Michael Penix is I think is like second or third in the Heisman polling right now. Bo Nix has got to be up there somewhere. It's a really good league, and uh, unfortunately, it's the last time we're going to see it together. A bunch of really good teams and the the overlying conference. Just hasn't done enough to keep it together. Lincoln Riley is upset with them. I mean, you just wrote the script for Pac-12-2 where everything breaks apart and comes back together. <laughs> like, that's a that's a horror movie to some people, even though the teams have been so good. Yeah. That's, I mean, we're going to eventually get there. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, like, there's the Washington states and the Oregon states of the world might be, you know, basically, we, do you want to see Rutgers in Northwestern or do you want them to be out? And Clemson and Florida State in and just exactly, like that's what I'm saying. Yeah. So like but then, you know, once it gets to be a bigger pot and they're all like the power teams, you know, you don't need Florida State to be playing Oregon. Like you'd rather Oregon play USC, you know, and they could eventually play each other, but not right away. Which let's let's have West Coast teams play each other and, and Southwest teams play each other and Midwest teams play each other. So I think the regional aspect will come back into it, but you have to like it has to sort of like become this blob altogether again, and then then you can kind of split it up. I don't know. We'll see. Someone's got to make like a comic or like a movie trailer or something like that. It's a, it it just sounds like like a weird horror movie. But uh, that's kind of all we've got today. We're, we're starting to delve into to the you know the idiosyncrasies of the Pac-12 and conference realignment and all the way that's going to work out ten years into the future. So I think we've gotten far enough that if you haven't left a like yet. You have to leave a like. Please leave a like. You want to tell them all the other stuff they've got to do. You leave a, you know, smash the like button. That'd be great. Uh, thanks for everyone that's tuning in. We have a whole bunch of people live on YouTube. Uh, I didn't get to see on Facebook, hopefully there too. And uh, on our Twitter uh, handle under at USC football. But we do have for, I think another day or two, 50% uh, off annual subscription to uscfootball.com. Make sure you go check it out. Uh, I mean, we are putting up so much content it is crazy. So I've, I, we were at the House of Victory tailgate um, yesterday, and just people are coming up to us like, I can't keep up. I can't read everything. I can't listen to every podcast. There's just too much stuff going on. So if you just want more content that you can handle, make sure you get over and half off. It's like $4.50 
a month. So like the price of a cup of coffee, you will not trust me. Go sign up. You will not regret it. If you do, email me and I'll make sure you get your money back. But dudes, go check it out. Uh, and I don't think you'll be disappointed. Well, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We mentioned it. We'll be back on Thursday. We'll be at USC practice this week, and then we'll be back here on Thursday to do a Tunnel Vision preview for Stanford. Mentioned it could be another potential blowout, but we'll see. First conference game for USC, maybe the last time they're playing Stanford for quite some time, and we're excited to talk about that one. And we'll have some more updates throughout the week on here on YouTube as well as on the site. So for Ryan Abraham and Connor Morissette, I'm Jack Smith. Thank you for watching Tunnel Vision, and we'll see you next week.